Well, hello there. So nice of you to listen to us today. Hope your day's going well. Ours is going well. Anyway, episode 105 of the Calvary Cast. I am Graham, and he is Jess. It is spring, and we're both wearing shorts. That's nice out. It's nice outside. My allergies are a little bit over the top. I know. I hear you in there <laughs> all morning long. <laughs> hacking and Oh, it's sneezing. terrible. What do you take for your allergies? Or We've had this conversation before. I'm more of the natural kind of guy. Right. right. That's so why good. you're struggling with allergies. Because <laughs> I just, I don't do anything. I take Nasacort now at night, and it's like I don't even have I allergies. probably should do something. They don't feel as bad right now. Mm-hmm. I've blown my nose in probably 15 minutes, so I feel like it's progress. But if we have to interrupt the podcast with a little nasal song at work yeah so anyway yeah. or you could try nasacort i could is that, that used a to prescription it used to be that means it's good <laughs> but they opened it up now over the counter that means you can also take too much of it it could kill you yeah but you just don't take too much you just do it once a day and yeah. you're good to go I think the first dose you can take two squirts in each nostril. <laughs> okay, and then, <laughs> and then after that you do it uh, once. One a day. one squirt in each nostril. One squirt in each nostril. I've done things like that before. I don't like that sensation of. I like things. You like out my sneezing nose. and coughing. And no, I just don't like instead. the. Well, you were talking yesterday. You hate eye drops. I do. I don't like stuff up my nose. Hmm. Like squirting stuff up my nose, or like the neti pot. Have you ever done one of those? I've done the neti pot. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, my wife does it. I hate it. Ugh. You don't watch her do that, do you? That, no. That, yeah. <laughs> well, that, why don't you do the neti goes, pot? <laughs> there goes romance down the tubes right there. <laughs> yes. Oh uh, man. Oh man. Oh, that's good. Well, we've got an exciting topic today. My wife suggested that we should have brought in the children and just let them hang out in the office <laughs> as an example <laughs> of today's topic. Yeah. Because it would come into play. Oh, sure. On their side and on our side. That's right. So, oh, I, we probably should play our music. Unless you have anything else. No. Okay. Topic of the day. We've already started. But what is our topic of the day? Total depravity. Oh, man. Should we remind everybody that we're doing a little series? That's right. This is a little series, The Doctrines of Grace. We introduced it last time, episode 104. So if you've not listened to it, you need to go listen to it. Yep. Otherwise, you're going to be a little lost. Yeah. It'll make more sense, and there's some historical elements there that you should see. Or no. Talking about, uh, and, and we said essentially there's these five doctrines that kind of historically came out of it. Yeah. The Arminians started a fight. Those Arminians. The Arminians back in the, you know, 1600s started a fight. And we're still fighting it today. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to talk about total depravity. Exciting topic, which is why it'd be helpful to have the kids here, because they would help elucidate the point. They're totally depraved. They are. And sometimes in my parenting, I can be totally depraved. So we're going to... Shut up! <laughs> uh, by God's grace, I would not respond that way. Yeah, but, uh, good. I, so, anyway. Uh, so let's talk about total depravity. Should we start just by sh- summarizing it in brief for people? What are we talking about when we talk about total depravity? Yeah, well, to me, the most helpful idea behind total depravity is that 
um, it doesn't mean that someone is as bad yes. as they could be uh, or sins as much as they could sin or whatever. But it is does mean that uh, through Adam's fall, all mankind have become sinners and every part of us has been ruined by sin. Right. When we think about depravity, then we're talking about nature, right. corrupt nature. Because I yes. think when people oftentimes, when they're not familiar with these doctrines, they hear depravity, they think about a depraved person, they think, you know, serial killer, Adolf Hitler, yeah. right? Like, are you saying everybody is totally that way mm. in their actions? That's not what we're saying. Yeah. Talk about you know, nature. Uh, Bob Jones, I think it was Junior or the second or one of them, he said, um, I didn't hear it, of course, it was before my time, but mm. I, this was repeated a couple of times I heard it, that every every person has the potential to commit any sin yeah. under the right provocation. I think that's yeah. that's kind of speaking to, to total depravity. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't mean everybody does full the run the full gamut of their sin, right. but the potentiality is yeah. there. That's one thing yep. I think that comes out of a depravity is the potentiality to yep. sin. And uh, let you know anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, type of thing. Hmm. So, but all of us, uh, all of our being, our nature, and like yes. you said, hits at the nature of who we are, is affected by the fall. Yeah. So this point was made in response to the Arminian point, which was this: man has not saving grace of himself, nor the energy of his free will. Inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, can of and by himself neither think, will, or do anything that is truly good, but that he is born again of God in Christ. Now that is largely a pretty good definition. Yeah, and this is a de- this is a doctrine that both the Arminian and the Calvinists, at least at its heart, right, agree on. Yes, like they they. Uh, um, the Arminians mm-hmm. would look at Scripture and clearly see, okay, we see we're tracking that a man is or a woman is totally depraved. Mm-hmm. Person is totally depraved by nature, so they agree with right with this assessment. Right, there's no debate there. Now, some maybe branch off from Arminianism, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be like kind of the Wesleyan vein, mm-hmm. thinking that there is this neutrality that a person is born with, right? You and you. You're born kind of neutral, and then you choose to become a sinner at some point? Well, I think that would go all the way back to Pelagius, right? And that's Augustine and Pelagius had those debates. And there's Pelagianism Pelagianism. and semi-Pelagianism. Well, one of the ideas is that you are born in a state of innocence, like Adam and Eve. And then at some point, everyone chooses to be a sinner, uh, through their own personal sin, right? And um, but I, as far as I know, uh, J- Jacobus Arminius mm-hmm. did not agree no. with that. No, he would have taught, and his followers, these people that brought out those five articles we talked about last week, yeah. the five articles of Arminianism, mm-hmm. they don't, they wouldn't hold to that. Yeah. So then, what is the what's the point of contention? Over this point, the point of contention comes in at uh, the ability of a person to choose Christ or not. Yeah. I think that's the main. I point. think so too. So, so a Calvinist says because of 
total depravity. The Bible also speaks to one of the results of depravity, a depraved nature, is that a person is unable mm-hmm. to come to Christ yeah. without God by the Holy Spirit doing his regenerating work in that person, right. bringing life where there's death. Yeah. Whereas the Arminian would say, I, we agree with the fact that no one could come to Christ unless God does something. But then that's where they would say some kind of variation of God has done that with everyone. Mm-hmm. He, in other words, they're depraved. They're even depraved at the at, in their will. Mm-hmm. But God gives everybody just enough grace. Right. They call it prevenient yeah, grace. Yeah, we talked about that, I think, a little bit last week. Prevenient grace, just enough to believe. Right. Others might say, well, when the gospel is presented, in that moment, the Spirit mm-hmm. is giving a little enough grace that the person could weigh out the right. gospel or not and choose it. So there's variations, I right. think, within that idea. Of how they would understand that person's ability to right. respond to the gospel. But the um, people that believe in the doctrines of grace believe that God only does that, only gives that saving grace to believe and mm-hmm. frees the person's will up and gives and gives life where there's death to those he plans to save. Yeah. And that's it all comes in the same package, right. so to speak. Now, the other thing I think would be that kind of helps set this up too, uh, the doctrines of grace, or would sometimes we will use the, the acronym TULIP, right? Total mm-hmm. depravity is the first one. Is there a reason for that? Because it's not first for the Arminians. That's right. It wasn't originally first, but the reason, right, I think that it's first now is that it's essential yes. to go any further. It, even if, in your in your doctrine of salvation, you have to start with your doctrine of sin. And uh, you have to understand the sinful condition before you see the need of salvation and what sal- what kind of salvation we need. And so that's why we have to start with depravity, because I think if we understand depravity in the way the scripture puts it forward very clearly, Mm -hmm. then you're then you're left going, okay. then the only way somebody would be saved then is if God chose them. Yep. And then God effectually called them. Right. And and uh, did all of that for them. Otherwise, that wouldn't happen. Nobody would be saved because everybody is. Uh, totally depraved. It fits with, you know, like you think about depravity and you don't think about grace, but it does. Like you don't understand grace if you don't understand how much of a gift you've been given and all that God has done for you when you're totally undeserving of it and unable and unwilling yep. to respond. To the and that's why gospel. there's one text we should look at in a few minutes, but like understanding what Paul meant when he said we are saved by grace is really important. Yes. It means more than we are saved by grace, and that means we didn't work for it or earn it. Doesn't mean less than that, yeah. but there's more in it. Yeah. Right. And I think that's why we call these the doctrines of grace. Yeah. You know, it's the teachings of sovereign grace, it's the teachings of saving grace in our lives. And what we find is that it was grace from beginning to end where we had no role in this at yeah. all. It was God's, it was. All of God's right. grace. Yeah. So let's talk about the text, because that's the point we, we made this last time. We're not, this is not a system of a man. This is right. from the Bible, so we need to go to the Bible. Does the Bible really talk about 
the nature being depraved like this, totally and completely corrupted, and unable to respond to the call of God apart from God's intervention. Yeah, I think clearly. So I thought I would read Romans 3. Go for it. And um, Paul here is building his case on the need of salvation, right? And so he says, right. what then, verse 9, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And um, then he goes on to show from the Old Testament in a number of quotations what he means by that. So verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now that right there clearly speaks to depravity. Yes. And in depravity, there's no righteous people at all. There's all unrighteous people. There's no one who has spiritual understanding and comprehension. Paul also talks about that. We won't spend the time probably today, but in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he talks mm, about this. Yes. No one can understand the things from God right. unless they have the Holy Spirit. Right. That's the idea. They're the just, word of the cross is folly to them. That's right. And it's only the ones that God calls mm-hmm. that will believe and it, right. those those are very clear and I think we'll get to those in other sessions with right. this but very clear there and then but down in verse 13 um, he begins like just describing the kind of like the head to toe idea of our depravity speak and and de- deals first with speech proving our depravity uh, because it's out of the heart that we speak. Yep. Yep. Right. Jesus says that. What in Matthew seven? Yeah. Matthew twelve. Yep. It's revealing the depravity of heart. Their throat throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That's because that's what's in their heart. That's in the heart of every person. Verse fifteen, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God. Before their eyes. This is the universal condition of mankind. And if you could come up with any other word other than depraved and attach, yeah, to describe that, I don't know what it would be. And if you could come up with any other, uh, you know, adjective or Mm. that to describe it other than totally or Mm -hmm. uh, completely depraved, then I don't know what it would be. Because that is that is speaking to the heart of every single person. It's clear what Paul is saying here. He's not just talking about one group of people or some really bad people. He's saying everyone is this. Everyone then, every mouth is stopped. We have no defense, and we're held accountable before God. Well, even in verse 9, right, when he says that we're under sin, he's talking about the control or the dominion of sin, right? Yeah. yeah. So sin has this control rule, and it affects us in this way. That's right. Uh, a number of other passages, and I'll just uh, briefly summarize these, just pointing out the key words, because I think when you take these in totality, you you cannot miss these. Isaiah 64, right? We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, mm. you know, and the the that polluted garment imagery is actually a menstrual rag, right? right? A rag used by a woman in her time. Yeah. And that's a really important verse because... Some people will say, well, with total depravity, and a, does that mean we can't do anything good? Right. You can do good acts. Right. 
but in God's sight, even your good acts, because they're not motivated yes. by his glory and the and really the ultimate yeah. good of others, and right. it is filthy rags to him. Well, and, and that's also important because uh, that's a, one of the questions, maybe we'll get to that again later on, one of the rebuttals, what about the good things people do? I was even reading a little bit. Depravity doesn't take away, doesn't mean that also there's no there is no loss of conscience, right? People still feel conscience over mm-hmm. sin. Romans 2 talks mm-hmm. about this with the law. So it doesn't mean that, but again, it's in the, that an inability to do good which would please God, right? right? right. Entire no, the entire absence of holiness, as one person says it. Uh, Jeremiah seventeen: the heart is deceitful; it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, this is an important text, right? Romans fourteen twenty three: for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Mm. Right? That's going to the point you made earlier. So even. Even good deeds, if they're not done from from a heart of faith, trusting in Jesus Christ alone, they're sin. Right? Um, Romans six uh, talks about us being uh, slaves of sin if we present ourselves as uh, s- slaves to sin. Um, Romans eight: the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God; it cannot submit; it does not submit to God's le- law. Indeed, it cannot. Uh, we'll probably go to these passages in a little bit. In Ephesians, Ephesians 2, you're dead in the trespasses and sins. Uh, verse 3, you lived in the passions of your flesh, your children of wrath. Uh, and then again in verse 5, dead in trespasses, right? This is all describing the human condition. 2 Corinthians 4, we're blind, right? In this case, in their case, the God of the world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Um and then even John 8, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. And then finally, Matthew 12, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil, right? So if your heart is towards evil, it's what Romans 3 is talking about, right? Out of it will come evil things. So I don't know how, how you would how you get around some of these passages. Right. Well, they don't. Again, remember, they say, yeah, we agree with all that. But God gives everybody just enough grace to be able to uh, believe the gospel. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that there's no verse anywhere that speaks of that. Right. So should we talk a little bit about some objections then to this doctrine? I let's read one more passage okay. that's key in this area. Okay. We talk about depravity and setting up the need for grace. Yes. Right. Uh, Ephesians two, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean physical death, though physical death is a result of being in trespasses and sins. That's clear from the right. garden. Right. So there is a sense in which that could be true, but it is this spiritual death. Mm-hmm. What does he mean by that? Well, he explains in verse 2. What does it look like? What is a spiritual, spiritually dead person who's dead in the trespasses and sins, what does that look like? He says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by our, just our very nature children of wrath. There it is right there. Your nature, your depraved nature, you are a child of wrath, meaning your nature invokes the wrath of God and is under the wrath of God. This is who you are by your very nature. 
like the rest of mankind. So you you see the idea, the kind of the concepts of slavery to sin here, um, uh, following after disobedience and and the devil and this world, and even in your nature just being opposed to God. And and even that too, it's something that we want to do, right? In verse three, right? We're carrying out the desires of the body. This is what we want to do. It's right. our desire to do it. That's right. And then verse four is so key in understanding the doctrines of grace, right? Yeah. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's what I mean, says Paul, by grace you have been saved. Yeah. So you were dead. There was nothing you could do mm. to respond to the gospel. Your will was not free. Your will is actually enslaved to sinful desires. Right. And the grace that God works, he works in that dead sinner to make them alive in Christ. And um, he does that while they're dead in the sin. So they're in that condition in which they're following the course of this world with the nature that's sticking its uh, fist up to God and yeah. that kind of thing. And because by grace, mm. he takes that dead, depraved, helpless uh, sinner, incapable of saving himself or herself, incapable of even looking to Jesus and believing in him, mm -hmm. any of that. He takes that sinner and makes him alive, and that makes all the difference. Yeah. And he unites him with Christ. That's glorious truth. Yeah, it is. That's what makes it a doctrine of grace. That's right. And that, what I just said, I, I don't like to, tr I don't want to sound arrogant with it, but it, there's no other way to understand what he's saying here, right. other than I'm trying to explain to you, says Paul, what I mean by you're saved by grace. That means it's all of God, and He did this in you, which is why you believe. Yeah. You know. So. Well. Okay, so that kind of does, I think, set us up a little bit to transition to some of the objections. Because somebody might be listening, right, and they have some questions going, okay, I hear what you're saying, but what about this? Right, exactly. Right? So the, one of the key ones, and this is where, right, you have to prove from the text, prove me from the Bible that it's not saying this. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes op opponents to these doctrines have to go and they try and do that. So one of the big ones is to say dead doesn't actually mean dead. It means separated. Mm -hmm. Right. Or the and they'll use some uh, you have to kind of do some. I would say some gymnastic hermeneutics mm -hmm. to get it to say that. Right. Especially when you're just reading what we're reading here. Right. But that's that's one of the article of the arguments. What do you say to that? Well, I think if he meant to say just separated, of course, that's part of being right. dead and trespassed right. sins. But he doesn't even mention that. No. And they will say, well, he does down there. Um, uh, down to verse on. 11, yeah, yep. later on in verse 2, yeah, but then he's starting to talk about the Gentile-Jew distinction, distinction and, and the mystery of the gospel and bringing them together. Right. But when he's talking about the nature of a person, right. when he's talking about your condition before you were saved, he's talking about you are a slave to sin. You are dead in sin. You willingly carry out the passions of flesh, etc. Right. So he's not talking about separation here. This is clearly slavery, right? And uh, spiritual death and helplessness. You need God's grace to come in and make you alive, right? Or your goose is cooked, so to speak, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so this that's that to me that argument that spiritual death doesn't mean spiritual death is. It's it not doesn't fit with what the text is saying. Right. And and again, like we would say, yeah, separation is a part of that. 
Right. Right. Isaiah 59, verse 2 or whatever. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Absolutely. But yet at the same time, it it's not it's more than that. Right. Right. There's this, this inability. And that's where they do want, because this is where the distinction lies, this difference between ability and inability. We're saying there's no ability on the part of a depraved person to respond to the call of the gospel apart from the work of God. Right. And they're saying there is some sort of ability. Then you have to ask the question, well, where does that come from? Right. We should mention on yeah. that, in that vein, that when we say a person's enabled to come to God, or to come to Christ in a saving way. We didn't make that up. Jesus said that. Right. In John chapter 6, he yep. said it twice. Yep. He said, this is why I told you that no one, verse 65, can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Right. No one can. Yep. The same kind of language Paul used in Romans 3. We're incapable to come to Christ for salvation. And interestingly, right before he said that, um, as he was talking about all these kinds of things, many of his disciples heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Mm. When Paul wants to talk about somebody previous to being saved, He'll talk about them being in the flesh, mm. void of the spirit. That's the whole point. When they're in the flesh, they have no ability. They It's of no help yeah. at all. They're spiritually dead. And Jesus said, it is the spirit then who gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Paul, maybe even using those verses, launches onto that yeah. in First Corinthians 2. Right. The, the natural man cannot receive the things of God. This right. is exactly what Jesus said. They don't have the ability. They hear the gospel. It's foolishness to them. It falls on deaf ears, you know, blinded eyes and hardened hearts. They cannot come to Christ in a saving way unless the Father does the work. Right. What does the Father do? The Father gives the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. Yeah. So, so in order to be... In order to believe in Jesus in a saving way and to come to him in a saving way, they have to be regenerated by the Spirit that is given new life. Yeah. Otherwise, they're in the Ephesians 2 condition. Absolutely. Jesus said it. Yeah. So Jesus, Paul. What more do you need? Yeah. Who cares if Calvin said it? <laughs> Jesus and Paul said it. It's, it's all you need to know right there. Uh, another uh, common objection that people raise is how can God command people to do things they can't do, like believe in the gospel, right? Because we do. We would affirm the call of the gospel goes to everyone. Repent, believe the gospel, but yet not everybody does. And so they're often saying, well, if people are totally depraved and unable to respond to the call of the gospel apart from that regenerating work of the of the Spirit of God, well, then how can God command them? And this is an argument sort of from logic, but it, there's no scriptural evidence to prove this, except for the fact that God does command people to do things he can't, they cannot do, right? So Romans 5, verse 20, the law came in to increase the, the, the trespass. God gave commands, not so they would be obeyed, but that they would show the sinfulness of sin and so that grace might reign, right? Or even more clearly, uh, the account of Pharaoh, right? Mm -hmm. Where God commands Pharaoh, let the people go, and then God hardens the Pharaoh's heart. And over and over throughout the whole scene of the plagues 
falling on Egypt. You see this, right? God commands, and then Pharaoh hardens his heart, or God hardens his heart, different things like that. But the the point is is showing all of that in, in Exodus is all of this is for the glory of God, mm-hmm. right? God God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he gets glory. Yeah. So to say God would never command something he couldn't wouldn't enable somebody to do is just not you can't make that point from scripture. You yeah. actually make the opposite point. Or 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 you mean like he commands something that they can't do. Right. Which sure, yeah, yeah no, right. that's the wrong. law. Right. I right. mean that's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. Right. Okay. Good luck with that. Right. You know, and so God gives these commands oftentimes to expose human yes. need, right, in the law itself. And the gospel is always put forward, and it's never in a pretentious way. If the gospel is put forward, if and it is true, if you repent and believe in Jesus, you will be saved. Yeah. But who will repent and believe in Jesus? Right. That's the Bible is clear on that. Right. No one will. Right. Jesus says, if you come to me, I'll give you eternal life. But then he said, but no man can come to me unless the father who right. sent me draws him. And right. by that, I mean, through the spirit, you're given life because right. otherwise you're in the flesh and your flesh is of no help at all. Yep. Well, and even go back to, to the, the point of, of what the law is doing, the inability for us to do what is commanded. Right. That again, what does that reveal? Grace. Mm-hmm. Right. When salvation comes to us, it's all of grace. Yep. And, and our ability to even obey now is all of grace. Yes. That's We live from that position. Yeah. Okay, last point, and this is probably the biggest argument that people bring up against total depravity. Well, what about free will? Mm-hmm. Right, because this goes directly to that conversation. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think the text is pretty clear. There's no such thing as a will that's free. Mm-hmm. Right. The will is either in bondage to sin or it's enslaved to Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's no neutral will that's out there and just able to respond on its own. Yeah. A good answer to that is often, okay, well, let's look at the text that teaches about your free will and they will not be able to pull it up. What they, what people will say is, well, look at here, whomsoever will may come to which everybody should go. Amen. Yes. But again, who will, right? Not slaves to sin, right? Um, not those dead in trespasses and sins following the course of the year. Uh, who are following you know, the desires of the body and mind. Right. They want to do it. It's that's their right. desire. That's, uh, and you know, even let's say when, when you deal with the idea of a free will, um, you know, we may, we may will to be on this, you know, have the rest of this podcast on the ceiling, <laughs> but the laws of gravity will not allow us, yeah. right? Your nature is bound to sin. And um, if, you know, you need to, you need to understand that part before you get into this idea of will to where even the will now is following the passions of your flesh. So what you have to do is have God free you, free your will so that you willingly and work in you in such a way that you willingly. Yes. Seek Jesus Christ. Right. So it just takes God's grace to do that. It takes God's grace. I won't touch on all of these, but I was reading through John Frame's Systematic Theology, and he has a whole chapter on uh, the human will and the sovereignty and things like that. And there's a couple of points that I thought were interesting, and people might find these interesting. One, like he makes the point, Scripture does not teach it in an explicit way at all. No biblical passage can be construed to mean that the human will is independent of God's plan and the rest of human personality. So you just can't make that dog hunt 
from mm-hmm. the text that mm-hmm. there's this thing is a will that's independent and free and able to choose mm-hmm. God to overcome to overcome sin. The one that I thought was really interesting too, he says, nor does scripture indicate that God places any positive value on libertarian freedom, free will, even granting that it, that it exists. So you say, okay, well there's free will uh, somehow. Well, show me a text that that says that God thinks that's a good thing, mm-hmm. right? That he's applauding humans' mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. to choose and, and things like that. Um, yeah, and remember, if you choose a free will getting in, you got to stay consistent yeah, with this exactly. idea of free will. <laughs> right. Because getting into salvation, if you had to have a free will, then to stay in your salvation, you have to free will. Exactly. And you could lose it then. Otherwise, you exactly. can't argue from that perspective of we have to have a free will or right. we're not humans or something. Right. And, you know, if that's the case, too, I always think about in glory and in the future and in the eternal kingdom, if if in order to be this human, human and not a robot or whatever argumentation they bring out, that our will has to be free. That And by that we mean it has to be free to either sin or not. Uh, that could be bad news into eternity yes. because yes. then who's going to blow it? Right. Who's, the, who's in the blow new it creation, the cre- yeah. we could fall again. Yeah. yeah. So the idea of free will, um, Adam had one. Yep. Only and one. that didn't end up very well. <laughs> Last point that he makes, and I think this is the biggest one. If free will or libertarianism, as he is talking about it, is true, then God has somehow limited his sovereignty so that he does not bring all things to pass. But scripture contains no hint that God has limited his sovereignty by any degree. Right, and that to me is the crux of the matter. Okay, you're going to talk about the freedom, in essence, to respond to these to these issues. Well, now you're limiting God's control because a free will is outside of His yeah. control, and He's at least not sovereign over your salvation. Yeah, and he, that's scary. Uh huh. You're sovereign over it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's total depravity. Our thoughts. Anything else you want to add to that? No, no I think that's good. Okay. Well, we hope this is helpful for you and encourages you to go back to the scriptures to see whether these things are true, right? There are so many passages that are that are teaching them, so we hope this is helpful. Our goal for this podcast is to encourage and equip the people of Calvary to be better students of their Bible and thereby glorify God through the study of the Word. We love to hear from our listeners, so you can send us feedback, questions, or comments. If you're part of our church, just come up and talk to us send us a text or give us a phone call. If you're outside the church, send us an email at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. So until next time.